Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment, and zero carbon goals. Today, we have me, Dan, and Alex from Everything is User Experience, consultancy for low energy building businesses, Jeff Colley, editor of Passive House Plus, and Sarah Edmund, founding member of ACAN and practice owner at Studio Search. Now, we've known Duncan Smith today. He's bailed on us for the fine wine and weather of rural Italy. However, we are joined by architect and building physicist, Gary Wilburn. He's MD of EP Projects, the architectural wing of Energy Pro Group. So we've got Gary on today because we've spent a lot of time talking about best practice. And in spite of the English Parliament's resistance to making coherent policy, change is already taking place. In that environment, the most commercially minded players are priming themselves to seize the opportunities they see. Now, we asked Gary to join us today because he's a commercial animal who's making best practice pay. Before we get into the episode, a warning. We crash right into it at the start after hastily pressing the record button because the conversation had quickly evolved into the subject we wanted to discuss on the record. And this is ostensibly the change in mindset required to push sustainability forward. Before we begin, just two last bits of admin. Uh, Shout out to my uncle Paul, who's convalescing at home. Get well soon. And everyone, join the AECB. It's preposterously good value. You'll find it at aecb.net. We'll give it a shout out again at the end. But everyone, check it, sign up. It's cheap right now, uh, and it's quite brilliant. Anyway, we'll let the podcast roll. Cheers. That we just suddenly start like into a quite interesting flow of conversation, and then we're like, "Oh right, hang on, rewind. Should we introduce ourselves?" No, no, <laughs> I've had my mouse icon hovered over the the start recording. You're too polite. <laughs> but yeah, I was just I was just about to say that you know since since I've been on on the board, uh, which is ten years or so now. Uh, regardless of being chair recently, you know, I'm still the only person that's really engaged with it at high level who, who is from a commercial background. Yeah. But, but we are all, as a group, uh, largely from a sort of residential domestic scale world. Mm. And um, so, you know, I was the only one that was really properly engaged with LinkedIn back some years ago. And, uh, you know, I don't like social media. I'm not on any of it. But, I'm a proper misanthrope, curmudgeonly misanthrope. Yeah, but in the context of what you just said, Jeff, you know, it's right for our businesses. Well, I think this is this is part of what I was hoping we were able to talk to you about. So today we're yeah. with uh, Gary Wilburn of EP Group, uh, MDVP Project. I'm also joined by Jeff, Alex, and Sarah. We are, yeah, we're just having a chat with Gary about the the more connect commercial side of green building and sustainability. I mean, we met, since September last year? All back, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I was really you, impressed. You didn't phone, you didn't write, you didn't... You didn't uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, be- I beg to differ, <laughs> but, <laughs> but <laughs> such is life. No, but no. you were always there. Yeah. We were very mindful that uh, you want to watch and want to get back in touch with when the time was right. Because I think uh, we spoke with some of your colleagues... You know what it's like? I mean, Alex and I have worked in the corporate world for long enough that, I mean, no response often doesn't mean anything at all. Like, it just means people are busy. You know, there's no personal judgment. It's, it's yeah. just how work, the world works. Uh, Gary, we don't actually know each other, but um, I'm really, like, uh, glad to to meet you. And I am um, getting to know, like, lots of people in, in the AECB. I've just finished doing some work with um, with Trish and Sarah. Um, 
we've just done some work uh, together for best and it's been really lovely working with them and of course Duncan and, and Andy and um and actually we are with my ACAN hat on with the Architects Climate Action Network hat on we're doing um we're co-planning an event um, in Birmingham with Civic Square and Dark Matter Labs and a bunch of other great organisations. Um, but Nidhi Shah is going to come, hopefully. Um, so really looking forward to having her, but she'll be there with her raft hat on and her yeah. work with Harry yeah. Paskus. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's nice to just like start to put like some of these connections in place and see who all the... Absolutely. Yeah. Well, obviously, it's great to have Nidhi as my vice uh, chair and supporter at ACB. Um, we're blessed with a great bunch of people, uh, Trish and the, and, the, and the ladies included, Sam and all the team are just, we're in a very good place yeah. as a team. And Gordon has just complimented that in a fantastic way. And we're, at long last, we've got the support, dynamism, sort of collective skills as a group that Andy has needed as support for a long time. Yeah. Oh, and I met met Sue Uh, as well. She lives off the road from me, so we'll be going for beers. (laughs) Uh, For context, uh, uh, Gary, is uh, are you on the board of trustees or chair of the board of trustees of the AECB as well? I'm chair. Chair, yeah. So that's the the other connection. I was the one that put my hand up. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, such is life. So the point at which we started recording today, we were just Mm. talking about the need for modernisation. Again, this was something that struck Alex and I when we met you last year, that EP Group is taking quite a fresh approach to, I mean, sustainability. Like you're demonstrating and proving the, the commercial side of it, you know, the viability of it in a way that I think back to when Jeff and I started Construct Island for a sustainable future. Like we weren't treated with scorn but there was a certain degree of disbelief and it was very much a niche uh, endeavor. Like the people, the majority of people we were working with at that point, they weren't making big bucks. I mean, apart from like your, for like Kingspan and people like that for whom uh, we held in relatively reasonable esteem back then. Uh, <laughs> things mm. might have changed. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I think uh, what you were saying about the ECB, like this, the need for a shift in mindset to accommodate or to take on board things like social media, just as a necessity of the job, not just, it's not a nice to have. It's, I mean, this is uh, illustrative of the, the broader changes that are required. I mean, these are conversations we're having all over the place at the moment. So where are you up to with this? It'd be good to hear a bit about how you came to join EP yeah. Group because I think that's quite a, an interesting tale. Yeah, if I give a, I give a bit of background without going through a sort of blotted uh, human history of Gary Wilburn. I, it is, it is... Well, you started by talking about yourself in the third person, which is a really good start, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. We're getting a sense of the me- megalomaniac megalomani- yeah, character yeah. That, 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 that you have to have to be the chair of the board of the ACB, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Are you seeing kindred spirits, Jeff? Is that what it is? <laughs> uh, mouth, hey, Jesus. Well, yeah. Jeff and I, last time we had a call, we, 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 with, you know, there I was thinking it'd be half an hour. I think we were on for about two and a half hours, uh, which was brilliant, Jeff, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, so my, my, my background, which is really, uh, has hugely informed, I realised not till I was past 50, just how much it had informed what I do now. Um, 
particularly from an environmental point of view. You know, I was very much a country bumpkin, brought up in the countryside uh, near Beverly in East Yorkshire. In fact, I'm heading up there this evening, this afternoon, to see my mum. And but my father was a huge influence on me. We lived off the land. We had a ten-acre small holding. Um, I don't think I saw cash. I, don't, I think I, I even sort of witnessed real money until I was about 15 because everything was traded. You know, a dozen eggs for, a, I don't know, for something else, whatever it was, you know. And he was a, a, a smallholder, did everything from growing the great big pot mum, chrysanthemums, you know, huge chrysanthemums in greenhouses. I used to have to water four acres of tomatoes before I went to school, which is why I didn't eat tomatoes till the age of 30. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but the background and the richness of my, my upbringing, which I realise now was so special um, because it was humble and I didn't want for anything, uh, but we, we, we lived off the land, you know, and I... I, I it's, it's sort of uh, the guys uh, at EP Projects, my new colleagues, they all laugh at me because every time I plant something, it grows, you know, and everybody else struggles to make stuff grow. I've just inherited that from my dad, you know. And it's really important to sort of have a, an enthusiasm and interest, I think, in everything from the soil downwards and upwards. And I realise that now, but it's taken an awful long time, <laughs> a little bit of grey hair, uh, uh, to sort of figure out that, that really informed my thinking now. So that rich childhood, honest and simple sort of uh, living, I think really sort of pushed in and under without me realising, even though I came from a very overtly commercial, originally interior design background, which was my first degree uh, at Nottingham Trent, as it is now, Trent Poly, uh, very, very... Uh, you know, <laughs> proudly would still call it Trent Polly. Um, I, I worked in London for a, a long period uh, with the great and the good, uh, Rodney Fitch, Fitch and Company, who became the biggest designers in Europe. We had a thousand staff at one stage uh, working with Conran and all, all, you know, all the great names. I was very blessed, in, but, but very uh, high street and uh, commercial sort of focus around the work I did. Um, and then, then moved down to Hampshire, having been headhunted by an architectural practice. Within a few months of being there, realised I should set up my own practice. And then for the sort of forthcoming 30 years, um, uh, I, with, with, with great colleagues with whom I'm still great friends, we set up a practice called HPW, which is still going. I wish them well. Um, uh, basically drove that as a, in all sorts of manners and proudly delivered some very large projects like Rushton Lakes in Northamptonshire, which phase one was 55 million. The first, I know it well. yeah, <laughs> the first commercial project in the UK to have four certified net zero energy buildings on it. Um, but very proudly, we created two and a half thousand jobs um, everyone told us we'd only get 2 million footfall, we get 5 million footfall on that uh, development. And the Crown Estate hold it uh, very highly in their uh, property portfolio. Uh, so bringing 60 million uh, per year input uh, in pounds, that is, uh, to the local area. Not egg, no. You know, uh, it's not a small number, is it? And it's, yeah. it, it's wonderful to be able to do that, but we also did it all in a Ramsar-designated woodland and wetland, which, um, of course, everyone told us we couldn't. 
making the stakeholders Natural England, uh, the Wildlife Trust, who now have a base at Rushton Lakes, um, uh, the RSPB, all of the, you know, the EA, uh, most of whom in our collective industries, particularly architecture and construction, would see as the enemy. We embraced them. You know, we made sure that they were instrumental in, in, in directing the design and working with us on the delivery of the scheme. And that, that really, I suppose, fundamentally is embedded in everything we do uh, and did do. So 30 years of doing that, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't so much tired of it, but I was ready for a new start. And I'd been looking for some time. I was, I was probably unhappy. I, I probably too much of, uh, too much of too much, if that sort of makes sense. Um, and I was distracted by certain commercial constraints. And whilst at one stage, the practice was up to almost 40 strong, we had an office in Edinburgh, as well as Southampton. Um, it wasn't fulfilling me. And, 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 you know, I needed to really sort of reboot and refocus uh, on the whole sustainable agenda. Um, as part of that, back in 2007, I went back to university and did a a master's degree, Sustainable Building Performance and Design at Oxford Brooks, which is singularly the best thing I've ever done. I'm working with the young people, with all the upcomers, uh, not just the old farts like myself, was inspiring. Absolutely fantastic. And, and crazily, although, you know, my father never would have believed it, became a building physicist, amongst other things, you know. So, and, and and immediately launched into practicing it and putting that into practice on quite large projects. Uh, everything from, uh, which will be on my gravestone if I ever have one, uh, Pepper Pig World, which is rather ridiculous, to, to Rushton and other large scale projects. Um, and just, that, is Pepper Pig especially <laughs> sustainable? I mean, I'm thinking of the parents <laughs> in the audience. They might want to know. Uh, well, it's not sustainable in the fact that if you visit the, the place and you come in and out of the 20,000-foot gateway building with its 17 wind catchers, underfloor heating, lowest energy bills of a retail and catering building, I believe, in the country, uh, you can't leave without going through the shop. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, because, yeah. because I am a commercial animal, uh, and... <laughs> And uh, pig or not, and and my client told me that he only had two percent footfall through his shop. So I said, "Would you like a hundred percent footfall through his shop?" And that's now what he has. Fair place, <laughs> you're a monster. Yeah, <laughs> I'm interested in. I'm really interested in. So the, hearing about your early, you know, childhood <laughs> story was really like not what what I thought we were going to hear about this morning. And no. it's lovely and. But the next, the, then the, the start of that story and then hearing the sort of machinations of how your career changed. But the bit that really like piqued my interest is, and then I became a building physicist. <laughs> and then I started to apply that. That's the place, right? That's no, the place where I think all yeah. people in this industry need to start to engage with much, much more. Like moving away from like just the aesthetics and what it looks like. And there are, I mean, I'm I'm being really crude and simple, like simple with that, but moving away from that and much, much more about how all that stuff works when you put it together so that it can be like truly sustainable. Because I know we throw away the throw around the word sustainable a bit and that's got you know diluted over time but that's really interesting can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so i mean and the reason i decided um you know in my 40s to 
commit to a, a two-year part-time course. I was going up to Oxford from Hampshire uh, once a week uh, for that two years. Uh, I had a thousand hours in this fair shed. That's why I built this thing. It, it was a big commitment, but it was uh, a real labour of love. Um, and it was driven in the first instance by sheer frustration with a lot of my fellow professionals, uh, with the industry as a whole, with the fact of having to upskill and effectively try and educate everybody without being pompous about it, everyone around us in the context of, yes, we want to deliver this highly sustainable thing, but nobody understands how to do it. So everyone from the contractor to the suppliers to the professional team, we've got to go through the same old rigmarole every single time. And particularly, <laughs> although lots of people out there that know me very well would, would, would laugh at this, it was probably quantity surveyors, project managers, and MEP designers that drove me to the need to go and do that degree because I was just tearing my hair out. And as a, for instance, many, many of the buildings, are, are big scale buildings that I've done are naturally ventilated. And of course, uh, they don't like wind catches and natural ventilation because that puts them out of a job technically, doesn't it? You know, no plenums, no maintenance, no energy bills. Uh, no fees. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was that was the key driver um, uh, around me, sort of heading from a from a sort of ability to be able to sit in meetings and and demonstrate some knowledge about the broader subject and the data and science of buildings. I'm just wondering as well, Gary, in this regard, um, as somebody who's had, I mean, you know, your your interest in sustainable building, uh, obviously, there's a, uh, I'm presuming it crosses over back into your kind, your kind of your 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 more your your uh, your beginnings commercially as well. You know, um, they, they, it's, this is not just a this is something you've you've been involved in obviously for a long time and interested in, but looking at it through a commercial lens. Um, uh, I, I'm kind of wondering whether you found that that this kind of building physics qualification, I need to know exactly what the, what the qualification is actually as well, um, is in some ways uh, uh, an approach that enables you to kind of quantum to, to, to actually make those sustainability arguments from a place of authority. Um, because, you know, uh, there, there is a sense, I think, for me, with um, some of the older school um, approach to green building, um, of the inherent virtue um, and you wouldn't almost question it you know um, the, the, there's a sense that it's right and that you don't necessarily need to subject it to the scrutiny of of quantification you know I, I've had one I remember a conversation many years ago uh, with a prominent green architect who will remain nameless um, who uh, proposed a standard to me a, a sustainable building standard um, that we should be writing about and I said yeah very interesting uh, and I asked a bunch of questions about the standard in terms of um, uh, you know what software tool was being used if, if any um, was there an airtightness target? Was there a you know a a space eating demand target? Were there embodied carbon targets or whatever? And the response I got was, Jeff, this is a very left of brain response, and that is part of the problem. And I just at that point I just felt like giving up. But in other words, you know, was there a sense for you that that uh, that uh, that taking a, a building physics approach means that you you can make more robust arguments in this? Yes. So as well as needing to be able to really properly direct the, the quite substantive teams that I was heading up uh, and obviously guide the investment 
of the asset managers and my clients and the companies I was working with. You know, if you just take Rushton as an example, good lord, a massive responsibility in 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 in, in pushing that forwards. And I was doing an increasing amount of work in national parks, very sensitive areas, because of my inherent interest and passion for natural capital, you know, which we'll come on to later. Um, I, so, so, so the whole data science-led ability to demonstrate to everybody from the planning officer through to the client and the uh, delivery team that this building will perform to this standard if we do this. You know, it's that simple, really, Jeff. And there's one example I often use when I'm chatting with clients if when first meeting people is, I remember years ago, and I have colleagues, our CFO at um, um, uh, EP Group is is, is ex-Arab from a high level, from a finance point of view. So I tease him all the time, relentlessly. Um, But Arab... 11 offices in London, as I remember, you know, uh, once you'd figured out which of the 11 offices you should be at, and I don't think I ever went to the right one first time, you know, I was always sort of wandering the streets of London looking for the next one. You sit in an office in a place like that, and I was blessed with knowing, I did actually know and meet over many, many years ago, and, 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 and Philip Dowson, Sir Philip, who sadly passed away a few years ago, I was working with him when he was in his 90s, who was the founder of their architectural side. And... Um, so Philip and I used to joke in meetings we had there because I used to just run roughshod to some degree over all these fantastic consultants in a room at Arabs because I don't mean they were talking rubbish, but they were just beating about the bush. They weren't getting to the points. And I needed to have some genuine knowledge informed by the science to push back with those types of people, whether it was an individual in the context of trying to advise them about their own personal home or at the other end of the spectrum, a 50 or 100 million pound really massive asset investment project where you've got the likes of Arab, Ramble, you know, Bureau Happold type people involved who I hugely respect. But I needed to direct them as lead consultant on the projects. And whilst I'm pretty good you know, I'd like to say, you know, in terms of being able to set out the agenda and so forth, I needed to be sure that what I was saying was absolutely factual. And so the whole building physics input to the projects at that early stage in the early 2000, well, yeah, about 2007 and 2008, where it was when I started to really apply it to the commercial projects we were working on, Um that I was able to go from the classroom with our academic leaders, and I was blessed with having the best group of professors uh, at at Oxford Brooks at the time, which was just phenomenal. I was taking that onto the shop floor back at the office and just literally applying it to the projects we were doing. I mean, it was, you know, the tutors were as excited as I was about it and vice versa. And there was an ability because we were building a lot of, lot of new stuff um, at, you know, large commercial scale, which was quite unusual for them, not just... Harry, the- the, I'm really interested in this. I think this is actually right on the point of where we've got significant issues 
is in an industry now? And I wrote down as you were talking upscale and upskill question mark, because you've obviously gone through the process and have explained very clearly why we need it. And, you know, going about things with with a a solid grounding of science-based knowledge to apply so that we can do all sorts of things like close the performance gap, like, you know, improve the performance of buildings and, and so on. How, like, what are you seeing? Are you seeing in your working life mm-hmm. a big uh, appetite for upskilling? Is is it available to people? Or is there, in, like, what? I don't want to ask you, how do we upskill the industry? Because I know we've got a lot of different ways to go about that. And we've had that conversation before and it might be a bit too amorphous. But, you know, what's it looking like out there? Because we can all have our own kind of perspective on it. But do you think that there are other people who are cottoning onto this and also saying, yeah, I want to upskill? Yeah, yeah, I need to. Are you asking in terms of sincerity rather than... Yeah. yeah. So I, um, because I'm always a half-full to overflowing type of person, I think, um, uh, I am, you know, an eternal optimist. I'm very excited and proud of the fact that it isn't just the five of us that are engaged with this agenda. The the, the increase in interest. And yes, let's be cynical about it for a a slight moment and bring it to why I'm with EP Group and my colleagues and and obsess of PP projects is to harness the, the, the financial side of things and the markets as well as the wonderful plethora of enthusiasm um, from the tree hugger to the crazy scientist and everything and everything in between. Um, so I see at one end of it massive uh, uh, asset and investment markets providing trillions of pounds, which we can only tap into if you have a completely committed ESG strategy. So at the top end, EP Group, we are writing ESG, not just compliance, strategy um, processes for those companies to adopt. Now, they could be investors. They could be people that are literally setting up their own bank. We have one, you know, uh, organisation. As those... Sorry, just to be clear, before we go on any further, ESG is the nebulous spurious potential for greenwashing <laughs> framework introduced by financial institutions yeah. to burnish them with some green sustainable friendly credentials in the face of climate catastrophe so environmental impact social impact and the impact of governance so the optimistic to the pessimistic <laughs> yeah i mean alex and i worked in financial services a long time we we saw the change from tinfoil hats to everyone sticking this badge on themselves sorry so uh i don't disagree with what dan's just said um I, the but it's using that as a rather large hammer to break the nut and aligning ourselves with people who have to do that from a compliance point of view, otherwise they don't get the money. Um, and navigating through all of the, <clears throat> you know, uh, <laughs> nonsense and hot air so that we can actually provide, which is what we're focused on, net zero carbon now in the context of retrofit and new build, regenerative and positive impact. And that positive impact is the very reason why I joined Dr. Stephen Fawkes, Mike Tivy, and my colleagues at EP Group 
because all that I was doing and saying, whilst lots of colleagues in previous uh, iterations and lives were, were listening, but they were, you know, I wasn't really getting the resonance that I needed in order, and the support around me of people that had gone through simple, similar learning to myself and, and, and other consultants we were working with. So I needed to really be surrounded by people that get it, support it, are committed to it in its entirety. And, that, and that's what I now am blessed with, with my colleagues at, at EP Group. Because What, you what know, advice would you give, sorry, I, mm. I, what advice would you give to students at mm. this point, anybody entering into yeah. the built environment sphere mm. of studies? Like, because I think... There's a lot of trepidation from younger generations heading into this um, or possibly a particular notion of what it's like to be part of this and that it's not easy. And particularly in architecture, coming in and coming out with massive amounts of debt and frankly, an education system that does not deliver what it needs to deliver in the context, it's actually really, really damaging. Not, I mean, there is change happening, absolutely. And there are some great schools out there who are completely yeah. adopting and changing their curricula. But, you know, would, you know, because there's part of me that says, bypass a lot of it. Don't do some, just just absolutely cut out chunks of it because it's not relevant. It's not going to serve you and it's not going to serve the environment and the way that we're working. But like, what what kind of advice might you give to the younger generations? I think, well, we're, we're engaged directly as a team. Um, we pay back you know, and give back wherever we physically can. Uh, uh, James Lamanis, my director of architecture here, um, James and Rupert, who uh, who both went to Solent University in Southampton, um, both from a technical side and a sustainable architecture side. Um, we're all engaged with our respective universities where we studied, so Bath, Oxford Brooks, Southampton University, Southampton Solent and Portsmouth in all different ways, all of those universities and others, um, we regularly engage with, um, we talk to students. I go in from a professional point of view in terms of explaining, yeah, if you're crazy enough to want to set up an architecture practice, this is how you might do it. Um, um, that's always an interesting two hours. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, um, I see there being, if anything, even better opportunity now for them than all those years ago when I came out of Trent in 1986, you know? So, uh, yeah, of course we can, we can dwell on the negatives. And a lot of the schools and academic institutions, um, they're not quite on message, if indeed they should be with regards to the sustainable agenda and in what in, in how they and what they're teaching. What I would say is um, all of the young people we're engaged with, graduates and so on, um, I think the standards are going up. I think the standards are improving. I see it firsthand in the people we bring into the team. We're, we're on a fairly strong recruitment ride at, at the moment both in bringing interns in to assist with uh, research projects, impact reports, and things that we're doing on a yearly basis, 
which I need to separately talk to Dan and Alex and the guys about, and we need to publish some of it, Jeff, uh, in a positive manner. Um, but I, I really do feel that, that the standards are on the improve. Of course, the depth of knowledge and um, infective sort of uh, process that we have both within ACB and my daily practice at EP Projects, um, not everybody has that, of course. Um, it's quite interesting that all bar one of our current team here have been through master's study. Mm. But that does not mean that someone from a technical background, who uh, I, I do tease him remorselessly as my BIM wizard, you know, because he is a wizard. It's wizardry. It's not. It's not <laughs> CAD and it's bloody wizardry. It's quite astonishing what he can kick out in a day, and and you know, with the with the systems and processes we're doing. So that combination of technical skill. Yes, absolutely understanding for computers and being able to get the best out of the blinking software that we use, whether that's visualization or it's technical. Um, and then this inbuilt um, uh, high level masters and above type educative input that we really need to deliver this stuff. And you either long in the tooth, like some of us who have learned it over 35 plus years with a bit of study, or you've really got deep into the understanding of it um, to really get the best out of the industry, I think, Sarah, you know, that, that if that sort of answers the question, I, I, I'm, I'm pleased to have tried to inspire and encourage an awful lot of people that I've met and, I, you know, within minutes of speaking to a student or a graduate and employing them, I know whether they should go to Oxford Brooks or CAT to do their masters mm. because you know, the person and one, you know, we're not all the same. Uh, that's not a problem. We need a richness and diversity of, of approach and people to keep the freshness uh, of challenge of support and challenge to the processes that we're all um, engaged with. And but I think I think fundamentally what I am excited about is I think the quality coming through is getting better. And do you think, Gary, if there's this, say you have this influx of more hopefully uh, enlightened building physics literate uh, new generation of, of, of designers and hopefully broad, more broadly design and construction professionals uh, yeah. coming into, into practices and, and contracting firms and so on. Um, for starts, how how the hell do you make sure that they're actually listened to? You know, that's the first thing, and, and not just kind of sidelined. Um, and in a landscape where, you know, uh, drivers like tightening regulations, supports like subsidies and so on, and uh, and then uh, ESG and so on, where there's kind of a general move, but maybe sometimes uh, the, the building physics underpinning, uh, or it can be a little bit too open to allow perhaps approaches that maybe aren't that robust. Well, is, is there a risk in this case, um, of, uh, you know, authority figures in their companies, um, not listening and making mistakes and, you know, because they don't have that understanding of building physics, building pathology effectively. You know, is that a is that a, a risk? I, you? I, I think, I think also, well, it runs deeper than that for me. Jeff, in that if we take if we talk about environment again, just in the instead of the physics, just for a moment, 
So the whole natural capital and having an understanding for the importance of that 200-year-old oak tree in the garden, as opposed to the built environment, the oak tree is way more bloody important and it should have a value to it. And working with Green Halo down here in the New Forest, which we set up four or five years ago, promoting natural capital, working with Dieter Helm and his team at Oxford to, to, to help support what we're doing. Um, I, so, so to, it's coming in all sorts of patterns. And as we all know, it's a complex mix, isn't it? It's a plethora of stuff. So the building physics is absolutely central to all of this. And I thank that process for harnessing me with the tools in the box, if you like, to argue the case in whatever form that is, whether it's investment, whether it's planning process to prove that the building we're going to deliver will actually achieve, whether it's certified passive house or whatever standard we've set it against. Um, but the, 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 the manner in which it sits and enhances the natural environment in a biodiversity net gain, um, rewilding, which I'm doing a lot with wildlife trusts, not just down here in Hampshire and Isle of Wight, but across the country, and indeed abroad on big big schemes. Um, it's that combination of everything. That's the bit that you know, you know when someone's got it when you meet them. Within a few moments of enthusing and talking about the subject, you, you can absolutely read that, that they've got it without me telling them. I just need to help. I just need to give them the opportunity to put it down on paper, if you like. And, and at the top end of it, which is what you're sort of asking about, we've got to make, you know, the selection process of those skilled people coming into the industry. Not everybody at the top of the tree gets it, as we all know. You know, well, this is the big problem. Like, like in answer to your question, Jeff, the succinct version. Like, no disrespect, Gary. Like, it was a very eloquent answer. Is like, of course, kids are getting ignored. If, of course, people are getting ignored. Like, look at Marks and Spencer's building, Oxford Street, at the minute. Like, they're tearing it down to rebuild it again and claiming that the, there isn't the the carbon impact, the embodied carbon impact, is just a trifling detail. They want to get their building built. I mean, that's what's happening practically all over the all over the world still. Like you ain't going to get away from that. So critical. But going back to the bit you said about young people and listening to them, I don't know if you're familiar with Scott McCauley and the Anthropocene Architecture School. But Scott and I gave a talk at one of the architecture schools. I can't remember where it was now. But one thing that he said to the students, and I've never forgotten it, and I continue to like say it to as many people as possible that you have more power than you have been told so when we talk about like the younger generations not being listened to and all the rest of it the more we tell them that they have more power the more they can kind of believe in each other and collectively organize around their agency to bring about that power um, and, and I think that it sounds to me like something that you might relate to or that you might totally. also think, I mean, uh, empowerment is absolutely key uh, I hope I instill it in the teams around me. Uh, I very much hope I do. I believe all my colleagues within EP uh, group do that, uh, along with adopting a stewardship approach to the company, by the way, that we're, we, we, we're going down the line on, and we can talk about that another time, but that in itself is very interesting. Um, so I think the graduates that are coming through, and we're about to take on some part one, two, and three architects, uh, as well as uh, graduated architectural technologists, they will have, I hope, 
a really quite unique opportunity working with our team. You can't guarantee that everywhere. Uh, I know there are lots of pe- lots of good people out there. I've had some fantastic engagement um, in in the context of uh, ACB, for instance. I met with I wouldn't name them all because that that, that that's unfair. But I met with five different well-known architectural practices from large to small scale um, through the passage of last year. And some of them employ 100 people, some have employed four or five. Um, Again, I found it an enormously fulfilling, positive, encouraging process. Uh, All of them, as we do, have got people going through Passive House training and all the various levels of um, the things that we're all committed to. and indeed, some of the, or well, one in particular of the larger practices we engaged with, uh, kindly offered some um, uh, resource to assist the ACB. You know, there are good things going on. I, I think what we need to do as an industry, um, and a lot of the professional groups, um, REBA included, are maybe not brilliant at doing that. Because again, they've got archaic processes which do not um, really instill uh, the flexibility with which we need to approach things, and the the excitement with which we should be extolling to those young people coming into the businesses um, and to empower them. You know, it's almost as though a lot of the accreditation type um, organisations are putting barriers in the way for them to. Have any empowerment? Well, no. this is this is it. Institutions don't like change. No. And again, like without just beating the same drum, the reason why we got you on today is because you've joined an entity which is affecting change through, yeah. I mean, a mixture of expertise and uh, commercial brute force. But what really surprised me about you guys is this multidisciplinary mix of capital management, acquisition, dissemination. Mm-hmm. You've got this consultancy aspect where you, in metaphorical terms, you look at the lay of the land yeah. and you understand it. So you can you can look at energy planning and solutions in the, the highest level abstract and the most granular practical level. And then you go and build shit and make things better. <laughs> like, <laughs> and yeah. That, yeah. that's like a, a peculiarly vertically integrated organization, yeah. especially peculiar for one focused on sustainability because you might see that elsewhere within the construction trade although it is rare because Mm -hmm. people like to spread risk and you seem to like acquiring it uh (laughs) like within (laughs) within reason yeah so we alex and i've been talking to lots of people in the industry recently about there is change of foot like traditional construction firms are much more focused on the the, the, the change that's going to lead them towards sustainability. So a big contractor we spoke to, they are, they've moved into passive house because of the commercial, commercial opportunity. There are no knights in shining green armor. They just recognized it's what their clients wanted and they're forcing that down through their supply chain by dint of their, their size. Mm-hmm. Other entities are recognizing the opportunities within retrofit. Big contractors, like massive. Mm-hmm. We work with some who were already deep into it. Like industry leaders, ACY, I'm calling you out. Like they're brilliant. Now, there are loads of businesses that just don't know where to start. There are loads of institutions that don't know where to start. Yeah. 
I think it might help to talk in more practical terms about how you guys do it with specific reference to a, a project, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Because well, like, if we take one how do one, you make it work? Yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah, uh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, that's good. So um, firstly, and it, I'm becoming, you know, we all have these, like in architecture, the word holistic should now be banned, you know. Oh, I love it. I love it. I won't let it go. (laughs) Oh, I agree completely. Gary's totally right. I absolutely hate it. Get rid of it with the dream catchers and bongos. It goes out without. Jeff, careful now. It's just it's just being overused, you know what I mean. So I find I find myself my my overused word is demystified. Yeah. But actually, it's the only flipping description I can give to the people that we're engaging with to say, right, look, we're going to demystify this net zero thing for you. We we're going to work with you specific to your need to do this. So at one end of that spectrum, uh, some wonderful work that EP Projects and my team are working on, which is hugely fulfilling we're working with a number of community rail partnerships regenerating redundant buildings on railway stations well doesn't matter where you are whether you're in ireland scotland wales england where the heck you are around the uk you can go to a railway station and the building will be shut and it'll be collecting pigeon poo or whatever it's being used for for the last 40 years romsey where i live which is a very wealthy town in hampshire um I, the the station for the 30 years I've been here four story beautiful Edwardian building which we're hoping to raise half a million pounds to bring back to life as a community scheme uh it's just sat there you know uh, absolutely crackers and where better to have meeting rooms and places for all those sad professionals to meet if we get together uh, yeah at a railway station what a concept oh anyway so we've just done one, a little station south of Winchester, a place called Shawford. Um, it was the old ticket office. We've regenerated the building. We've worked with listed buildings and historic uh, buildings trusts and the county council, the local council. With um, the Three Rivers Community Rail Partnership, they've managed to raise 300000 to invest into the building to bring it back to life. So we're bringing that building back to life where, we, where we've been able to we have put insulation into the building. It's been a challenging issue because it's a very sensitive, um, you know, it's not a listed building, but it's, it's, it's a really lovely example of those railway buildings that you would all recognise, you know, of that particular ilk and age. And it's going to be remorphed into a, an ice cream parlour and cafe, which I'm very much looking forward to go to, and as a community meeting space and facility for the locals. So the the richness of working with the contractors to deliver that, using the lime, mortar and render, working with um, natural materials for the insulation where we've we've been able to put insulation in, um, using um, marmoleum, which was like a a step back in time for me, Four Bonaire factory in Fife. In my kitchen? We put yeah. that in. Yeah, absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah, you know, linoleum uh, genuinely is one of the most sustainable flooring materials you can think of. And I'm it's beautiful. Of, I'm one of the hardest wearing, and I've always been a great supporter of it in commercial schemes as well as domestic. So, you know, we wherever possible, we're, we're using um, uh, recycled um, uh, old furniture for 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 the, for the cafe operator. 
And it, it's just joyous. You know, the interest of the, the local people, everybody engaged with the project. Uh, I'm hoping EP Group will be having our uh, board meetings there next month after it opens. Uh, I'll be getting lots of mileage out of it, and maybe one day we can all get together and and sit and have a nice coffee there or something stronger. But that's so that, brilliant. So that's at one end of it. Yeah. At the other end of it, we are literally consulting on projects for two thousand new homes in the new town, and designing one particular building, innovation and pathfinder building for Forley Waterside in the New Forest, which is uh, which is getting planning permission for a new town of about 1,500 units. We're working on the commercial side, uh, the employment elements uh, at the development, which probably for the first time in the UK, there'll be someone that tells me I'm wrong, um, on a new build, new town, we're building the employment first. Wouldn't that be a really extraordinary concept? Um, uh, uh, and I will be highly cynical about such things, Dan, because I'm a great critic of of the uh, house building fraternity. I'm afraid. Um, you know, why on earth would you build the employment bits first, and and the school and all the other? Oh, infrastructure <laughs> first. Good God, why would you do that? Don't put the drains in. We'd like it to flood when it first opens. You know, or whatever. But so we're working on this fantastic thing with uh, uh, our great friends at the Cadland Estate down in Hampshire uh, and Long Harbour, who are the investors behind it, to deliver a Pathfinder uh, building where all the great and the good and the, and the key sponsors and stakeholders of the project. And, and this thing could be half a million square feet over five levels. It could have a CLT, assemblage plants on the ground floor, and a modular uh, construction base to then feed into the main project. And also, after completion of Forley Waterside, then be used to feed all of the other um, housing and related projects in, in the Solent region. So you're developing infrastructure to develop infrastructure? Correct. From a like a localized base, so yeah. So and and working with a client who I'm I'm blessed to be able to say I inspired him by saying, I think you'd like me to grow you some buildings, and we are growing the buildings on his estate. Not everybody has three thousand acres and four hundred acres of woodland, um, but I've proved that working with the with Forestry England and the team. Um, there is enough Douglas fir in the southern region. Uh, Jeff knows I'm enthused about this sort of stuff. You know, there's enough Douglas fir alone as one singular species in the Solent and Southern region to build 10,000 homes a year. And currently no homes are built out of the Douglas fir because it all goes for fencing. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you thought within the context of this as well, Gary, about, um, you know, Andy Simmons, uh, one of, I don't know whether you call him the term, but um, he, he uses a lot. And I think it's a, a very interesting. Uh, Andy Simmons, the CEO of the ACB, um, radical sufficiency. And uh, this is the, the the idea of you know first of all identifying whether you need to build um, whether the building is is, uh, is is bigger than you need and then use, using the minimum amount of resources in 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 constructing the building uh, to give it the best best performance. Um, and uh, I know I, I, I'm very enthused by by technologies like CLT, for instance, um, but I see them as having a role. You know, um, well. I'm wondering, for instance, whether you're thinking of that, whether you're looking at embodied carbon calculation and looking at um, uh, um, the most efficient use of timber as a resource. 
for, for, for the record, Gary's holding up a, um, uh, a, a 3D, an illustration, which looks absolutely beautiful. Um, is that a timber bridge as well? And, yeah, um, so, so, so we're doing a project just on the outskirts of Romsey here where I live, um, which will be a gateway to 170 acres of woodland and wetland. Uh, I'm working with both the Spanish and the Finnish uh, CLT and Glulam Industries very closely, not known entities in those sectors in the context of, yeah, I know Storenzo and all the big guys, but I'm working with the smaller scale people uh, to try and get them a foothold in the British market. Um, uh, although the, the Spanish group do do have done a lot of work with Urban Splash, for instance, which is encouraging. They've done about 40 projects in the UK. So we're, I'm looking to deliver that 20,000, 21,000 uh, foot, you know, just over 2,000 square metre scheme, uh, totally from CLT and Glulam. No concrete. There will be no cement and concrete on site. We're, we're building wow, Really? So we're looking at driven pile, um, recycled green heart timber groins from the, from the south coast, which we'll be working We also with. have recycled green heart here, Guy. I think there's a lot of materials on the small yeah. scale that I can talk to that you're talking yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. It's really like, oh, wow, on the big scale. Yeah, so, so, so I'm talking big scale green heart. I'm talking seven, eight metre long, great long things with massive spikes on the end that were driven into the beach. Shout um, out to Ashwell's Timber, um, who do a great job in reclaiming timber all around the UK and then supplying that. And they supplied us, but they also supply on a big on a big scale. But they're, they're, they're pushing the, the I think, I think the, the problem is when I go to a lot of these people, Sarah, they can't cope with the scale mm. because often they're, even they are used to sort of dealing with things on a domestic scale, not a commercial scale. So when I, I roll up at, uh, which I did to East Brothers uh, um, Sawmill just north here of Romsey uh, in West Dean and ask for somewhere in the region of 200 of these things, uh, they say, well, we've got 20 in the yard. I said, no, well, can you find me to sort of conversation? But yeah. what the reason I held that image up, which I'm happy to share with everybody afterwards, um, you know, we're really putting into practice what we're preaching and EP Group have invested in the planning process, literally um, from pension pots to su to support that project to make it happen. So you're putting um, your own money in. Yeah. Big up. Yeah, amazing. Oh, Alex. So, yeah, I was I was interested because you're talking about these projects, and you gave us sort of two examples from the, the really small hyperlocal to the really large large scale. How do you ensure that these projects contribute to the public awareness of the solutions out there? Because I think that, you know, what we're talking about here is that there are the solutions. We know how to do a lot of these, these things. There's a lot of expertise, et cetera, et cetera. And in the industry, we all talk together and we all know each other to some extent and we all talk about it. But actually what we need to do is show the entire public that there are things out there that they can, they can have as well. It's not just these special projects. They are there and they can become a reality for everyone. I think thoroughness of process, Alex. Um, mm -hmm. We we very closely align ourselves and work with community. Um, if you take this project in Romsey, oh, good Lord, I must have done 60 presentations. I've done more presentations than I did on Rushton Lakes. I, I, I'm, and, you know, I'm surrounded by people that just do not, do not embrace change, good or mm -hmm. bad. Um, however, um, sharing, being transparent, open, honest about all of it 
um, approaching things with a trust and confidence that maybe a lot of other people don't. They're all um, qualities often lacking within the construction industry. Sadly, yeah, yeah, and uh, but but also but building confidence, Dan. You know, with within the community to say we really can deliver these special things, and you know that yes, that's progress and change, but it's also going to provide a facility that we can all get genuine joy from. You know, real well-being, and 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 it will either in its recycling, re- regeneration of existing historic buildings or, you know, providing new ones where we need to do them. And I agree with Andy's, uh, you know, uh, comments, as you mentioned earlier, Jeff. But I think that trying to try focusing on what you're asking, Alex, making the time to communicate with people, to um, put information about these projects in the local press, properly build a relationship with the editor of the local paper so they don't just print garbage they actually print what needs to be said um but but supply them with material that they want to publish you know uh, and and engage with community groups um here in the case of romsey romsey district society of which there's all sorts of different levels they've got a they've got a planning group they've got an environmental group I've presented to them all. It does and take time. It takes effort. It's a big commitment. Yeah, but getting but getting the message right and right and simple. I mean, you've you've you, there's a couple of points you you touched on which I think um, are you know are uh, you could distill it down to when you're talking to people about this. You know, essentially growing your own buildings and concrete free. Those those few things together. That is those kind of that's a few words which is absolutely mind blowing for most people and and. Very significant, you know. Um, so, uh, so I think that I think that's yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And I want to learn more about this, you know. Yeah. And we're having that conversation. I'm I'm proud to say, Jeff, with individual homeowners who just want their forever home, who we're taking off oil, and actually providing them with an off grid solution by the time we finished refurbishing or rebuilding what they live in. So there's that extreme right through to the big investors and projects where, you know, we're dealing with uh, large levels of employment and just giving them an amazing well-being focused environment with natural capital value uh, mm. about it. And, you know, you've got to remember, guys, I'm, I, I mean, here in Romsey, in Hampshire, beautiful county on the edge of the New Forest, working with people in national parks, both New Forest National Park and the South Downs National Park. We're doing three homes at the moment in the in the South Downs Park. You know, uh, good grief! I've, we're rich with the ability to do this stuff. I've got to keep getting the message out to find the projects to do it. But once we get in front of people, we're, we're managing to convince them, virtually all of them, whether they're you know big monsters in the financial world and investment and construction or individuals at the other end of it that um a highly sustainable net zero now not in 10 20 30 years regenerative positive impact approach is is absolutely on the money for them and and i've got the backup to repeat of of you know my colleagues within EP Group, the wider group, the consulting team who do amazing stuff with ESCO in a Box, which we need to have a podcast about that separately with Alex Rathmull, my fellow. Yes, MD. for sure. <laughs> Alex, that sounds Alex, amazing. Alex, Alex is MD of EP 
consulting, consultation side of the, the business. Um, uh, and, and I head up the architecture side and construction side with EP projects. So Alex and I working really closely together, ever more sort of overlapping with the, the stuff we can do, district systems for the projects that we're looking at, working with councils, working internationally. It, there's a plethora of stuff, but come back to the point that because we're approaching things thoroughly, Alex, that's the key. It's the thoroughness of the process, however stupid that sounds, that people do not make the time for people. They don't get in front of because they're petrified of the parish council and the bloody planners and, and the environment agency or whoever you've got to engage with, when actually they're all people just trying to do a job like the rest of us. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're, they're not Engagement used to having to. Yeah, yeah, they're not they're not used to having to have no. to do it. Like just no. uh, to be clear, where I was cussing out the building industry before, obviously it's not all contractors. I know some of Peter Rickaby's comments upset a, a couple of our listeners because not all contractors are trying to do a bad job. No. Like some no. people no. are going above and beyond and exceeding expectations. No. That's Dan. We've got people. We've got partners from a construction point of view whether it's individual homes or massive, great commercial projects, who I absolutely implore. We've got some fabulous people that do listen and work yeah. with us to deliver these extraordinary things. But they do. And the, I think like the little railway building, the little railway building I mentioned earlier that we've regenerated, the team there, give them a shout out, Avon Construction, absolutely, they're from a civils background because they do stuff on the railways. Yeah. They build bridges. They're in charge of lives. You know, it's yeah. serious yeah. stuff. But- I think the and thing is that we don't the game and done a fabulous job for the client. It's brilliant. Yeah. And like when we're here talking about things, we're talking about systemic problems, really. <laughs> so like yeah, we, are. we will tend there can be comments about, you know, oh, the contra- contract is doing one thing and should be doing the other. But it's yeah. it's so great. It's so so um enthusiastic like it's 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 great to hear and so optimistic to hear of that being what your experience is and that also it does take time it does take engagement and that's the bit that needs to happen more of and that people need to start to understand the value of that even though it takes time it's about long-term building of relationships it's about making it truly sustainable it's about actually engaging the minds the hearts and the minds as well it's also um, Sarah, is, dare I say, you have to be a total and utter pain in the ass which i do very well <laughs> and, and absolutely no acceptance of the word no marvelous you know because if you've got you know if you if if i sitting down with our engineers and then we've got some great people on these projects we're working with and saying right we're not using any concrete you can imagine what they yeah yeah yeah. i wanted to ask you about that imagine i am told but you you would be able to tell me my understanding is there are only two practicing engineers in the UK that have uh, 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 certified passive house designers. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you're structural talking engineers. I'm talking structural engineers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so collective are definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but I, I think there are. <laughs> there's less. There, there are others that who, there's names escape me, but we, occasionally you'll find an enlightened one who's you know who really gets yeah. it. You know. Yeah. Shout, shout out then to the industry listening. Come and tell us who you are. So yeah, exactly. We can exactly. You. <laughs> but it it is it's very hard to find those people, and more often than not, we're having to inspire them to go off and do the study uh, if we're to do a lot of work. So if you take the CLT. 
working with these amazing people in Finland. You know, they're advising the Canadians how to use wood for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about idiots. We're talking about people at the top of their game, and they're the people we go to for advice. Not if I need to do something to do with round earth. I ring Pete Walker at Bath University because he's the world's leading authority on the subject, and I've got his books on my bookcase here. You know, you all these people, all these organisations that are approachable. They're fantastic uh, uh, resource, but people don't get off their backside and go and use it and apply yeah. it. It's yeah. that. It's at the root of it where where the problem is in the context of uh, a very uh, conservative uh, industry and sector in which we all work. Well, I just yeah. think as well the the worst kind of of restriction or censorship is self censorship, where you where you you think something won't happen, so you stop, yeah. you don't do it, you don't propose it, you know. And so I think that kind of bullish optimism um, and you know is so important, um, and to you know to to not just to assume whether it's building control or engineers or finance or insurance <laughs> or whatever that these obstacles are insurmountable. But yeah. to just bloody plow on and do it, you know. Yeah, it's half of the possible, you know, Jeff. You, 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 you have to be very, very focused, and and for all of the listening and engagement with everybody in terms of community and so forth, you've also got to be incredibly dogmatic uh, about what it is you're setting out to do and achieve, yeah. and that it has to include the financial constraints and restrictions. Because sure. you've got to really, really prove to people that it is an affordable process. That's realistic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, from a Passive House Plus point of view, what I love about the publication and everything that we're all collectively doing together, which, which you give a great forum for, Jeff, you know, we've got to put the numbers against all this stuff. Otherwise, no, again, I'm back to the demystification thing. Well, it's yeah. not... It isn't demystification. We should know the blinking numbers, shouldn't we? Can we just yeah. have the numbers, please, Mr. Quantis Surveyor? And, yeah. and can we have a whole life value and payback? And, and can, can we just talk about it about a, in, a, in a whole life manner? Um, if you do that, the return on investment, it's a no-brainer to, in, to integrate the renewables to supply the power that's required for whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. But you've got to do it, and you've got to have the numbers um in order to sell you know again there's, there's just tools in the box from a salesmanship point of view yeah. uh, to be able to put in front of whoever's paying for it absolutely and i just wonder i couldn't agree more i also just wonder when you're really pushing and doing something like this concrete free kind of approach that you're talking about when you're trying to do something that is, that is really different um yeah. and new um I've been trying to, to talk to some specifiers about this in Ireland recently in the context of something like um, even something far less radical, like um, but still important, like like uh, the fact that it's possible in Ireland now to there's specification clauses available for blockwork manufacturers to substitute 50 percent or more of the cement in their blocks with GGBS, the ground granite is blasphemous like that's available, but it requires the specifier to demand that of their block maker to, to, to show them there's a demand and really to use that power. And the point I'm trying to get across when I'm talking to architects about this, for instance, is you have a chance here to have an influence on the supply chain that goes way beyond your building. You mm -hmm. can transform things by being 
prickly and by 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 demanding this um and they'll do it then as a consequence you know if if presuming they they need work of course um um but they'll they'll they'll, they'll if they do it then and they find that it can be done then all of a sudden there's this amazing legacy that you widen the adoption yeah yeah, yeah. Mate, if if the money's there folk will do it mm. like that's why we have so much rampant bad practice like throughout the industry because that's where the money is you look at wimpy homes if you look at the leasehold scandal for what used to be freehold properties like it's it's preposterous but that's that's the world we live in what for like gary are doing ep group they're changing things um i think we're coming up to time now yeah absolutely um what i would like to do is get you back on to talk have a we'll have another chat another day about the finance and viability side because i think that's something that i hope to talk about today but Realistically, we didn't have a hope in hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's been brilliant. Is there anything? Is there anything you want to drop in uh, before we we do some plugs and whatever at the end? Uh, anything you wish you wanted to tell us about that you haven't had the chance to yet? No, I mean, gosh, you know, any of us could talk all day, can we? And that's what's so rich. And <laughs> I I think it just thanks for the opportunity to discuss it. Uh, happy to contribute in in other ways and uh, uh, and if anybody has any questions and if any questions come out of people that see this ask so, yeah please. so the website is EP group, the website's epgroup.com uh, yes. so yeah. the people can yeah. drop an inquiry i'm sure yeah. gary can give the that, web team there's an, EP, there's an ep project section within the website uh, as there is consultancy and impact and so on uh, we're in the process of uh, with a number of people who are working with us at the moment in, in redrafting the impact report that was published last year. So there'll be a new impact report within the next couple of months. Oh, that's uh, a great bit of work. Which, which, yeah, I'm hugely proud of what Steve Forks and the team did with that. And uh, that'll, be, that'll be updated this year. Cool. All right, team, Jeff, Sarah, Alex, you got anything to plug? <laughs> Well, I would say just about when we talked about institutions not liking change, I implore anybody who is a member of the RIBA to vote in the upcoming elections if you want to maybe implement a little bit of change. Some really good candidates coming through. So, What's your Retrofit Festival in Birmingham coming up? Yeah, Retrofit Festival in Birmingham. This is really, really exciting. It's coming up on the 13th to 16th of July. By the end, well, by the time that this podcast goes out, you'll be able to get um, tickets. It's free to attend. There's going to be such a broad range of speakers. It's very much about community retrofit, very much about bottom-up approach to things, but also quite broad reach. Um, And yeah, there'll be lots of detail. And I will put in the show notes the links to where you can get that. It's going to be in Birmingham and it's in collaboration with a couple of other fantastic organisations like Civic Square, Dark Matter, ACAN. And it's very, very exciting. So one one last thing, Dan, uh, shout out both for Jeff and myself, which is if you're not a member, join the ACB. You won't miss it. It's an amazing, amazing collection of building knowledge. Uh, throughout the UK, and I believe globally significant. And yeah. you can see it all in Dan's fantastic magazine, uh, Jeff's fantastic magazine. So yeah. you get it's a Which Dan is still taking <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not taking any money. Uh, just, just a little bit of credit. Um, but I can second that. I absolutely think, yes, please do consider joining the ACB. I'm a member as well, and I think it's fantastic and right. a really, really educational place. So, so ACB website, acb.net? 
Yeah. Is, .net. Yeah. And Jeff's magazine, he doesn't plug it enough. Passivehouseplus.com or .co.uk. No, it's it's .co.uk for, 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 yeah, for, you, for that side of the Irish Sea, yeah. And passivehouseplus.ie for Irish market. Yeah, we use the English spelling of Passive House because when we were when we rebranded to focus, uh, to, to enter the UK market, believe it or not, I was actually looking at some of the uh, opinion polls at the time, showing the, the possibility of, of, of Brexit happening. Um, and and I, I just felt that going with the German name, it might play well to play better, much better to to the kind of the bleeding heart liberal kind of crowd who are our kind of uh, bread and butter, I suppose. But why would you, why would you choose to uh, antagonise the, the, the gammons, you know? Um, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, well, great man. to see you all. Yeah, you yeah. do, you do. Oh, one Excellent. last thing. Uh, we've clocked that uh, of late, our guests have been awfully blokey and awfully white. And this is a in part a feature of our experience of the construction industry. I mean, it's a feature of the construction industry. It's not a quirk. Yeah. It's systemic. So... Um, this isn't for want of trying. It's just we're not especially well-connected or especially good. So if anyone wants to give us a heads up about anyone we should be talking to, zeroambitionspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, noises up. We'll have a chat. Right. All right. Cheers, everyone. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.